Again, it's good to be with you folks and uh, invited back so quickly to give you the second part of this message on the five marks of those who love Jesus. This is in John chapter 14. So if you turn to John 14, again, we'll take a look at these verses and I'll give you the first two marks, which were a part of the uh, part one. And then we'll go through the three final marks there of those who love Jesus. Well, let's look at John 14, beginning at 15 again. If you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And I took those verses there, with the exception of 17. We're going to look at that here on the third mark. But I took those verses, 15, 16, and 18, and began to speak to you of what I see as the marks of those who love Jesus. And this was important because this is the last message before our Lord is betrayed. He's falsely arrested. He's falsely accused. He is condemned to death and then put to death on the cross for us. So these things are vital for us to understand because this is what he wanted his disciples to know before he was crucified. And that first mark was that the one who loves Jesus keeps his commandments. That's how we prove our love for the Lord. We are men and women of the word of God. We do it. And we do all of it. We are not selective in what we do. I think that's what happens a lot of times is, is we come to faith in Jesus and we're so excited oh, to have that deliverance from the burden of guilt on our hearts. We come to faith in Jesus. We find forgiveness. We find cleansing for our conscience. We know that our sins are atoned for by his death on the cross and that he loves us and he's alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's working things out and it brings us great joy and we say, yes, I'm going to do everything. And then we begin reading the Bible with new eyes. Oh, you want me to do that? Hmm. Boy, that's hard, Lord. I don't know if I could do that. I can remember many, many years ago being convicted about some of the things that I was listening to on the radio, some of the music, some of the music I grew up with, albums that I had in my house. They didn't lead my thoughts to the Lord. They had a nice groove to it and they made me think of things and events and memories that I began to step back from and say, that's not me. I don't identify with that anymore. And I began to 
purge my album collection. We had, I think, three garbage bags full of albums that we got rid of. But Lord, that's hard. You want me to, you want me to really follow you here and then things that I read or things that I watched, things that I watched before I came to faith and then things that I began to see after I came to faith and I go, oh man, man, oh, I didn't even want to think those thoughts. And then to be oblivious to some of the language in some of the movies that I watched when I was younger and go, you're kidding me, I could actually listen to this dialogue? It's horrible, it's horrendous with the cursing that was involved, with taking God's name in vain. It struck me differently. I was a different person. But I didn't do all of the commandments because when I came upon some that I struggled with, there was still a little bit of reason. You mean I got to give that up too, Lord? See, that, that, that's where we go with it a lot of times. It's I got to give it up. But look, what are you gaining in return? You are gaining so much more than you could have ever dreamed of. You have to learn how to put to death the old man, to mortify the flesh, to crucify the flesh. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So we begin to learn. We kind of get out of that weird stage where we're going to do part of what he says, but not all of what he says. To come to this stage where we grow up in our faith, we put away childish things, and we say, I'm going to do it all. I don't care how much it hurts. I'm going to do it all. So we keep his commandments. We do that out of love for him, just like Jesus did with his father. We are, as Peter says, obedient children. Obedient children. We are, as Paul says to Timothy, a soldier of Christ. You know, when I was in the military, it was not my will that was being done in the unit. You know, I had orders and I did what I was commanded to do by my commanding officer. And uh, Paul says to Timothy, you're a soldier of Christ. So do what he says. And, you know, Jesus even mentions it, that our service to God should be a fusion of love as the motive and faithfulness in our actions in life. Love and faithfulness Together In Matthew 6, verse 24. So we are to keep his commandments. That's the first mark that shows that we truly love Jesus. The second mark was that we are united with God's Spirit. And I labored long at the idea that not only do we need God's Word, but we need God's help. And he gives us help. He sends us help to not only be with us, to, in a sense, be in the room with us, but to be in us. And we can hear His voice. And so the Spirit of God regenerates us, sanctifies us, indwells us, and unites us. We're like babies that grow up 
into Christ, into full maturity, going from this organic unity that I spoke of, a a, a spiritual union with Christ that we may not be fully aware of or can put the words to. But as we grow up in that faith, we recognize who we are, who we claim to be, and the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And we say yes to God. We unite consciously with God through the Spirit. That's an important thing for us. How are we going to mortify the flesh without God's help? How are we going to put on the new man without God's help? We have to be conscious to those things and unite together with him. He doesn't leave us as orphans. So keep his commands, first mark. Unite with God's spirit, second mark. This third mark. Those who love Jesus, they build their lives on God's truth. They build their lives on God's truth. When you look at these chapters prior to his priestly prayer, the Lord's Prayer in chapter 17, you see Jesus referring to the Spirit of God as the Spirit of Truth. He says it more than once. The Spirit of Truth. Not only are we to keep the commands, be united with God's spirit, we're to take God's word and build our lives on the truth. And who helps us? The spirit characterized by truth. God never lies to us. God can't lie. So he always speaks truth to us. And he does that by his word. So he illuminates our minds as we read the word. He teaches us and we embrace those teachings. We embrace Christ. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 45 that all those that had come to him had been taught by God. So those ones that are taught by God come to Christ, And as that word is taught to us, we feel conviction over our sins before God. We, say, we can say with Peter, Lord, go away from me. I, I'm, I'm a wretched man. Because we recognize that we're sinners. At the same time, he convinces us of the truth that the only way that we'll be made right with God is through Jesus, not running from Jesus, not turning the back to Jesus. So he teaches us truth. And something has changed within us because we are a new creature. Now we yearn to implement that truth in our lives. That's a characteristic of those who love Jesus. We yearn within us to express the truth of God in our lives. 
Think about how Noah expressed the truth in his life. He had a relationship with God. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a man who was saved by grace. God revealed himself to Noah. Noah had this relationship and God commanded him one day to build an ark. It was the truth that a judgment was coming, that God was going to pour out a flood upon the world in judgment against its violence and wickedness and corruption. That truth was real. There's truth of judgment, but truth of salvation. Salvation. And so he built an ark to save himself and his family and those that God would bring to him in the ark to save those animals, those creatures. What was Noah demonstrating there? He was expressing his belief in God by doing what God commanded him. And it says in that verse there, in the scriptures where we get to Genesis 6, verse 22, that he did everything that God commanded him to do. He did it exactly. He didn't waver. He didn't question. He said, this is the way I'm going to build my life on the truth. Otherwise, if I ignore it, I will perish with all the rest. And that for us is the lesson in Noah's life. We need to build our lives on God's truth. I want you to think of something else here in this section. Look at verse 17. The one who would abide with us forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you see something here? The world can't receive the spirit of truth. It can't be in them. It can't be with them. Paul says that those who are steeped in their sins and without Christ or without hope. Ephesians 2 speaks about these ones who are without God. So the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. Can't be in them, can't be with them in all of their trials. What a horrible thing if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ to think that somehow you could go through some kind of difficulty in life, some kind of trial that tests your faith and you are without God. And yet the world is without God all of the time. It can't see God as he really is. It can't know him. It can't understand him. 
He doesn't understand what he is doing to save sinners. Consider this statement. We don't value what we don't understand. We don't value what we can't see or perceive. And this is what Jesus is saying here. The world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him. Think about Naaman. Naaman, that commander of the Syrian army, and he was leprous. The story is told in 2 Kings 5. Naaman's wife has a slave girl who's an Israelite who tells her one day about Elisha, the man of God, who has such power that he could heal her master, Naaman. So Naaman goes to the king and he says, this is what the slave girl has told us. The king sends him with gifts to the king of Israel and the king of Israel reads the letter and the gifts that come with it. You know, you've got a man there to uh, heal my commander of leprosy. Do it. And here's all the all the silver and gold you can want. And, and what is the the king of Israel do he tears his clothes <laughs> and my God he's just setting me up for a fight he's, he's being provocative to me and uh, so he calls for Elisha and Elisha comes and says he's going to see that there's a God in Israel there's not a God in Syria but there's a God in Israel and he's going to see it he's going to know it so The encounter happens. But Elisha doesn't go to see him face to face. He sends a messenger. And he says, okay, dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And then you'll be clean. Naaman, you think he'd be overjoyed. I'll be clean. I'll be free from my leprosy. But he's he's ticked. (laughs) He's irritated. He's frustrated. He's angry. I thought he would have come out here to see me face to face. And he wants me to do this in the Jordan River. Why can't I do it in my river? Up there where I live. Aren't they good enough? Aren't they better? And he goes off in a rage. He doesn't know the God of Israel. He doesn't know the man of God. He can't perceive it. He can't see it. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't value that word that was given to him so that he could be clean. And his servants plead with him, hey, wait a minute. We've come all this way. And master, if he told you to do something really, really hard, wouldn't you have done it? And he comes to his senses, goes to the Jordan River, dips himself seven times, and guess what? He comes out clean. The scriptures say, clean as a baby. He's free from his leprosy. He didn't recognize God as God. 
He didn't think very much of Elisha, the man of God. He certainly didn't value the word of God. But all of that changes when he finally does what he's told to do. And the lesson there is it's better to submit to the word of God than to ignore the word of God. So the world can't receive these things. It doesn't see the spirit of truth. It doesn't know the spirit of truth. But those who love Jesus, they do. They have the spirit of God within them. They have the words of Christ. He's teaching them how to live those words out. And they take that material and they build their lives on God's truth. There is success when we build with what God commands us to do. Just like Noah. And just like Naaman, who at first he didn't submit, but finally he capitulated and he says, okay, I'm going to do it God's way. And you know, it's the same thing in our lives. We will never enjoy success before God if we continually do things our way. If we insist on our way of doing things and not coming to terms with what God teaches us in His Word. You know, there are so many plain passages in His Word. If you had a habit of reading just the New Testament, if you had a habit of reading the, the epistles to the church, there is so much plain language there telling you what is right, what is wrong, how we ought to think, how we ought to behave, how we ought to live our lives and build with godly material that we don't need much instruction from others who can pull away the curtains and demystify it for us. It is plain there. And who illuminates our minds? The spirit of truth within us. And so I want to encourage you before I leave this point, read God's word and plead with God to open your eyes to the truth. And then ask him, oh God, give me a heart to live it out. Give me a heart to live it out. Those who are united with God's spirit, they build their lives on God's truth. And that takes me to the fourth mark that I see here in this passage. Those who love Jesus, who truly love Jesus, they walk in his footsteps. They walk in his footsteps. Let's look at 19 and 20. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, he's speaking about this time when the world is not going to see him. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be taken from that cross, dead and buried They'll guard the tomb. A few will be struck when he emerges from that tomb on the third day. 
blinded and then falling like dead men, those soldiers there outside the tomb. But the world didn't see him. Who saw him on that day? It was his disciples. His disciples saw the risen Savior. And because he lives, because he has power over death, he says that we will have power over death too. We too shall live in Christ. And we will recognize that he is in the Father and we are in him and he is in us. We'll recognize this spiritual connection that we have together with God. And we will walk with him. You know, John 20, verse 19, speaks about the disciples seeing the risen Savior. But I want you to remember in Luke's gospel, do you remember the two that were on the road? On the road to Emmaus. And they were talking about the things that had just happened and how Jesus had been crucified. And they had expected Him to be the Savior, the Messiah. And they were sad as they were talking. And as they were walking and talking on that road, guess who shows up? Jesus shows up. And Jesus draws near. It says that in Luke chapter 24. And as you read through that, you see that there is Jesus walking with His disciples He's entering into their sorrow. He's teaching them the Word of God. He even enjoys a meal with them. And then He disappears. All of that communing together with the risen Savior. Because He lives forever. Those who are in Him will live forever in gratitude and thanksgiving. Just like those two disciples. We'll share in that. You know, when you consider the third mark, building lives on God's truth, and you look at this fourth mark here, walking in his footsteps, the third mark is about building. It's building something within us that God is doing. He is developing our character to be more and more like Christ. So it's very personal. But this point here is about this connection that involves walking and walking with him in life. And where were they? They were on the road. It was a public road. It wasn't a private access road. It wasn't up somebody's driveway. It wasn't up somebody's cul-de-sac. It was out in public from one city to another. And my point being is that this is something that happens with us. We build our lives. We build character. God works in us personally, but it's to work itself out of us publicly. That's my point. When we walk in his footsteps, we are walking among others. We're not walking just in the, the four square of this building with the doors closed or in our house. We're walking out in the public. 
Let me put it a different way. Think of a firefighter. Okay, think of a firefighter. And then they get the clothes on. There they are in the fire station. And they put all of the, the, the clothing on and the equipment on. And they do what? Do they sit there then in the fire station? No, they get on the engine and they go out and they fight fires. Think about the police officer who puts his uniform on, puts his belt on. He's getting himself ready. He's clothing himself for what he is going to do out where others are. He doesn't dress himself and put his gun in his holster and and have his vest on and sit there in the living room. He gets in the squad car and he goes out on patrol. He is there to protect and to serve. My point is what? You know, 3A, the, the, the third mark here, is building lives. That, that's personal. But walking in Christ's footsteps is public. We do that when we gather as a church. We do that when we're out visiting with others and we're sharing the grace of Christ, the love of Christ with others. Our walk should be different. And that's another thing here that we see. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. We're now walking differently from what we once walked as. Turn in one place in 1 John. I'll take you away here from John 14 for a moment. 1 John. And you can see this different walk now. Christ is building character in us. We're clothing ourselves so that we can go out and be among others and interact with others, walking with Jesus. And look at 1 John chapter 2. Now by this, verse 3, 1 John 2, verse 3, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Sound familiar? I mean, it sounds just like John 14, doesn't it? We know that we know him. We could say we know that we love him if we keep his commandments. So again, very familiar territory. Verse 4. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He doesn't have the truth. He's lying. He doesn't have the words of truth. He doesn't have the spirit of truth within him. He hasn't built his life on the truth. And he certainly is not walking in Christ's footsteps. Because look at what he says in verse 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Just as who walked? Just as Jesus walked. Remember when Paul says, put on Jesus Christ? Right here, I've been talking about a firefighter putting on his uniform and then getting in the fire engine and going out to fight fires. And about a police officer putting on the uniform and going out 
to protect and serve. That's what we ought to be doing as Christians. We ought to put on Christ. Consciously think about putting on Christ and going out among the public and then sharing Christ, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the peace of Christ. We're representatives of Christ. We are image bearers of Christ. We have to wear Christ. This is what I'm emphasizing here and what you see when he says, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. We've got a connection. We've got a spiritual union together. We're united together. You're building your life on the truth. You're walking in my footsteps. You see that there? These are the marks of those who truly love Jesus. Think about a coach who comes to a team. Trying to give some analogies here that maybe even the young people can grab hold of. Coach comes to a team. Team's been losing. I mean, it's, it's not really a bad team. There's just a lot of bad practices, a lot of bad lessons. They just didn't have the right coach. They're losers. Coach comes to the team and begins to teach them the right things, begins to practice the right drills with them. Show them what they need to do to overcome the enemy and win. And it comes to pass that they turn all of their losses into victories. And then the coach dies unexpectedly. Do you think that that team is going to go back to the old ways? They've tasted victory, haven't they? They're on the path to victory. They want victory. Losing sucks. Pardon me. Losing is terrible. They want victory. And even though their coach is gone, they're going to keep going the way that he taught them. In the spirit of their coach. They're going to win games in the memory of their coach. Look, don't we have a coach? Don't we have a better coach? A coach that died, yes, but he's alive forevermore. He's conquered sin and death. We continue to walk in the coach's way. This is my point here, and this is how we are in him and he is in us. We keep doing what he has shown us in his word. And then this last and final mark that I see here in verses 21 through 24. This is about thriving in God's love. Those who love Jesus thrive in God's love. Let's look at 21 through 24. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So those who love Jesus thrive in God's love. That's another mark here. That's the fifth mark here. So again, if you need all of those marks, the first mark, those who love Jesus, they keep his commandments, they unite with God's spirit, they build their lives on God's truth, they walk in his footsteps, and they thrive in God's love. Christians cannot thrive in an atmosphere of sin. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot thrive in an atmosphere of deception and lies, untruth, sin, and lusts. You are a different creature. And notice what he says here in 21. He goes right back to what he sees as being the most important thing in this whole message before he prays in chapter 17. What does he say there again in 21? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Now he's stressing a point. He's saying, okay, remember I told you this, this is what you're to do. You know, if you want to prove your love for me, then keep my commandments. Remember that. And then a few more sentences later, he says, now, now do you, you understand what I'm saying to you. If you keep my commandments, you're showing that you really love me. And he goes on and he says it again and again and again. It's like he's saying, look, you're not getting me. <laughs> I'm telling you straight out, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why is he so insistent on that point? Because you remember that part of our Adamic nature is what? We hate God's commandments. What did Adam do when he was given one commandment? He broke it. He disobeyed. And that's a part of our Adamic nature. And we say, okay, we're new creatures in Christ. We don't live under that. And I say, amen, we don't live under that anymore. We yearn to do what's right before God. But guess what? That Adamic nature is still in you. It's broken because of Christ. There are remnants there within you that want to rise up and push Christ off the throne again and sit there on the throne of your heart. And so this is why Jesus is being insistent about this particular point. Because this is the point that we all turn away from. Yeah, I heard you. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. Have your, your kids, have they ever said that to you? Yeah, yeah, I heard you, mom and dad. And then they go out and they do it. And what does mom and dad say? Didn't I tell you? 
I mean, have you done that with your parents? Or am I among a special class here? I mean, I think we've all done that. And this is the point he's making. The one who truly loves Jesus will keep his word. He will be compelled to do it. And then Jesus expands this. The one who loves Jesus this way will be loved by the Father and the Son. Not just that Jesus will love him. Oh, I love you. You've kept my commandments. But the Father will love him. My Father will love you too. The triune God is involved in pouring out love to this one who loves Jesus. Thriving in an atmosphere of God's love. I'm trying to think of things that would help young people grab hold of it. You know how hard it is for a fish to live on land? You know, you go to the go to the river, go to the pond, you catch a fish on the hook, take him off the hook, throw him up on the land, see if see how far he'll get, see if he'll live, see if he'll thrive. Fish won't last very long. The fish will die. It's the wrong atmosphere. Fish don't live on land. They live in the ocean. They live in the sea. They live in the rivers. They live in the water. We are a new creature in Christ. We live in a new environment. The environment of God's love. That's where we thrive. You can't thrive in sin any longer. There's one final thing I want you to see here. The question of how Jesus will manifest himself to the one who loves him comes up. Look at that. There in 21, I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. And my father will love him. Yes, we know. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Boy, what a beautiful sentence. The triune God will make his home with the one who loves Jesus and keeps his commandments. Why to us and not to the others? Because this is about home. You catch that in the verse? This is about home. This isn't about a public disclosure, which will happen when Jesus returns from heaven and judges the living and the dead. All will see him. He will be manifested to all at that time. But this is a private and personal disclosure, not only after the resurrection, but in this sense, as we now in our day love him and keep his word and begin to see him more and more clearly 
in the Bible. And we go through all of our trials walking in His footsteps with Him, building our lives on God's truth, we will see Him more clearly. How? Spiritually. I'm not talking about I, I, I can look over here to my left and I can see the Lord. If I did, I think I would be struck like the men that you were reading about, brother, in Exodus 24. Struck by the glory of the Lord there among us. But we do see the beauty of the glory of our Lord in the Scriptures when we read it and we love it and we live it because we thrive in God's love. That is how Jesus will manifest Himself to the one who loves Him. A deep spiritual connection regarding home and not a public ceremony at his return regarding judgment. It's about home. Let me say one thing about home and then I'll conclude. Don't you want the Lord to be in your home? He paid for you. You are a bought person ransomed from sin and death. You belong to Him. And what a glory it is that He says that He will take up residence in you and make that heart of yours, that inner man, that inner woman, into a home for Him. Are the things in your home right now that may be not pleasing to the Lord? Just think about that thought for a moment. You got things in your home, things in your apartment, that if Jesus saw it, He would not be happy with it. But you want Jesus in your home, don't you? It's the same way here. And it starts here. Because if it starts here, then all of that other stuff on the outside in your home and in your apartment or wherever, you'll get rid of because you want Christ to stay. You want Him to be pleased and to make that home with you. Well, notice 24. The warning. This is the Father's verdict. That's what Jesus is saying here. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. What is that word? What is the Father's verdict? He who does not love me does not keep my commands, does not keep my words. How can we tell between those who truly love the Lord and those who don't? Do they keep the Lord's commands? That's what we need to ask ourselves. That's what we need to pray God will help us with. And that's what we need to ask, not just individually, but corporately. Corporately as a body. Are we pleasing to Him? Are we keeping His commandments as a body of believers? 
example, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we again bow in our minds and in our hearts. We give our whole selves to you, O Lord. We pray that you would search us through, examine us, O Lord, and if there is any wicked way within us, O God, purge it from us and point out to us those things where there's still dirt in the corner or cobwebs in the closet. Lord, help us to purify ourselves according to your word as we wait for you, the one who is pure and holy and our mediator before the Father. We want our inward man to be a home for you. We want our churches to be a home for you. And we want to be able to display that beauty of your home, of love to others. Help us to do so, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.